0: Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future.
1: A lot has been made about how generative AI has already changed many aspects of the legal industry. Heck, we've already done a few shows on this very topic. One of the areas that has already felt the effects of ChatGPT and other large language models is contracts. Users can now use these AI-enhanced tools to help them quickly draft, analyze, and review contracts. All you have to do is type in what you want, and the tech does the rest. Of course, it isn't that simple. The technology is still in its infancy, and there are limits as to what it can do. And we've already seen how it can produce inaccurate results, also known as hallucinations. Nevertheless, the potential is there for lawyers to save tons of time when it comes to contract drafting, review, and analysis. And as the tech continues to improve, who knows what it might be capable of. My name is Victor Lee, and I'm assistant managing editor of the ABA Journal. My guest on today's episode of the Legal Rebels podcast is Noah Weisberg, co-founder and CEO at AI-powered document processing platform ZUVA, and author of AI for Lawyers. ZUVA was spun off from Noah's previous company, Cura Systems, a smart contracts and document analysis platform that was purchased by Latera in 2021. Noah is here to talk today about how generative AI is changing the field of contract review and what we can expect to see down the line. Welcome to the show,
2: Noah. Nice to speak to you, Victor. Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. So tell me a little bit about yourself and
2: your legal background, Noah. What made you decide to become a lawyer in the first place? So I come from, uh, I'm sort of a third generation lawyer. My grandfather was a judge and my dad was a lawyer. And I actually thought I was going to be a professor. I was in a PhD program in political science, but realized that wasn't the right thing for me. And I was very well qualified for law school, and uh, so I ended up going to law school and practiced for four years at Wagachal in New York doing corporate law and really liked a lot of things about the job, but also knew that it wasn't something that I felt like doing for the rest of my life. I also, so this is back in like 2010, um, thought there was a lot of opportunity in the fact that junior Corporate lawyers, like I'd been and like I was supervising at the time, spent huge amounts of time doing work that they hated, that they weren't that good at, that was really repetitive and really expensive and clients didn't love paying for. And that was sort of not that fun being a junior lawyer doing that stuff, but it also seemed like it wasn't sustainably going to continue that way. And so I started, I quit while, and I just sat and thought, And I thought about different ways to get out the problem. And the first couple that I was thinking about, I didn't think would make great businesses. But then I started thinking about contract review and I realized that it fit the theory really well, that junior corporate lawyers spent vast amounts of time reviewing contracts, that even at the world's best firms, they made mistakes at this work, but that they were often looking for the same things over and over again in contracts. And because they were looking, for the same things over and over again, we thought there was an opportunity to help people do that work faster and more accurately, and just pull the information out automatically. And so, back in January 2011, I got together with Dr. Alexander Hudek. He has a PhD in computer science from the University of Waterloo, which is like the Canadian MIT, and I'm Canadian, so it kind of made sense. <laughs> and we. Uh, We thought it would take us four months to sort of harness the the state-of-the-art in machine learning at the time. This is before Watson won on Jeopardy or anything like that and apply it to this problem. And so we decided not even to raise any money because we thought that would take us six months. We just were more excited about building a product quickly. So we got to work. And after about six months, we realized that the the state-of-the-art was not where we thought it was. And that we didn't know if it was going to take us another six months or 10 years to get the tech to work. But we didn't think we could raise any money as <laughs> uh, so we just kept pushing away at the problem. And by about 2013, we got the tech to work pretty well to the extent that users would tell us that they would review contracts in 20 to 90% less time and they would do it with the same or better accuracy. But in 2013, we had a second problem, which is that Most lawyers bill hourly, and it was challenging back then, and still today, I think, to explain to hourly billing lawyers how being more efficient is in their best interests. Nonetheless, we kind of kept pushing and kept working away at it. And in 2014, the business kind of started to break the right way. And so we went from four people in the summer of 2014 to Eight people by the end of 2014 to 30 people by the end of 2016, and a whole bunch of large law firms and other professional service firms started to come on, and especially 2016, 2017, 2018. And by the time we took our first funding round in 2018, we were sort of a hundred-ish team members. And by the time we sold the business to Letera in 2021. 18 of the sort of world's top 25 MA league table firms used Kira to help them in contract reviews. That included like more than half of the AMLAW 100, I think seven of the AMLAW 10, seven of the Vault 10, 10 or 11 of the top 12 UK firms, and leading firms in Canada and Brazil and India and Denmark and all, all sorts of uh, places over the world. So we kind of got it to a pretty good place. And my understanding is that it continues to thrive within latera.
1: Gotcha. Well, so let me ask you this. I mean, obviously, you know, kind of taking a step back and looking at it from sort of the, you know, taking sort of like a 12,000 foot view of, of things, I guess. So obviously the famous saying about contracts, and, and it's true, is that, you know, when you're in law school, you don't actually look at a contract. You just learn <laughs> about, you know, yeah, like yeah, you learn about the principles around it. You learn about the case law, and but and you learn about you know the underlying statutes. But you never actually look at a contract. <laughs> I mean, do you think do you think do you think that's part of the problem as far as like you know these these young associates they've never seen a contract before except maybe like you know the lease they sign when they like you know when they when they have to go after they get their job they have to sign a lease to like go live somewhere close to the office. Is that part of the problem as far as like? junior associates not necessarily knowing what they're doing or what they're looking for?
2: Uh, I think there's a level of problem with that. Certainly, I think many ex-corporate lawyers can tell you that the early training that they received in due diligence is just, you know, (laughs) go look at these contracts, pull out this specific thing, not necessarily getting told what that specific thing is. And then also let me know if you see anything weird and you don't really know what anything is. Uh, So, yeah, I think lack of training is probably doesn't help, but actually, really, you just got to do the work and you get up to speed pretty quickly. Like by the time you're a second year, by the time you're a third year, you get a lot of practice added over your first year. And so you tend to get up to speed pretty quickly. I think the problems are, uh, number one, you just you don't get how companies work in the same way. Like you don't get where the problems might lie or as a more senior lawyer might get that. But the other issue is just, there's a lot of volume and you're doing it under a lot of time pressure. So you might, I think our largest project at Kira was like 4 million contracts, right? Done over a course of maybe eight or 10 months. And like the time pressure in that sort of situation is really intense. Like I can right now talking to you, picture being at my desk, sort of overlooking Central Park in New York. And it was like, 5 a.m., so maybe like I wasn't overlooking anything apart from a bunch of lights, and having to get a bunch of work done because the deadline was 9 or 10 a.m., right? Like You're just doing this under immense time pressure. Some of these contract clauses are really easy to spot, like an assignment clause or a term provision or the confidentiality. Things can be really easy to see, but some things like change of control or really critically exclusivity and non-compete can be very subtly worded and be in weird places in agreements. And I think it's just easy for people to kind of miss them due to inexperience, due to inattention, due to just being tired, due to trying to cut corners and not looking in the right place. So there's, I think, a lot of reasons why people make mistakes at this work, but technology can help them. So it's okay. And so you talked
1: a little bit about how, like, you know, it was tough or, or, or just the challenges of trying to convince a law, a lawyer or a law firm to be like, Okay, well you don't want to bill as much time or you don't want to spend as much time doing this stuff and it could can be in your interest to do so. I mean obviously the Bill of is is still king at a lot of these places. So how how were you able to eventually kinda of convince a lot of these lawyers that this was the way to go? Was it because of that idea of like, okay, well you don't want you don't want like overtired, overstressed, you know, inexperienced attorneys you know, who might miss things or who might, you know, make mistakes and then you have to go back and, and fix
2: it. Was that part of the pitch or was there were, there,
1: were there other things involved?
2: Different things worked at different places. So one of the things we did in the early days is we got some clients excited. So for example, GE, which was like the huge sort of legal spender back in the day, was a big early supporter of ours and was really, really, really helpful with kind of pushing their law firms to, Use our technology and just sort of be more efficient overall. So, I think having clients push and express to senior partners that they really were interested in getting better value out of their work uh, was helpful. I think there were firms where they tried our tech and they found that their people were as accurate or more accurate. And I think that was really persuasive. I think there were firms that. You know, had business model considerations where it mattered to them, like either they were battling to win more hourly work or they were trying to make a shift to fixed fee. I think there were firms where that worked, but really it was different things at different places to get our first toeholds. And then as we started to get our first toeholds, it just started to work. Like you get the first few places on and then you can start to go to firms and be like, well, like, Many of your competitors are using us. You should get on this too. And it just becomes much more persuasive as you get more firms on. Gotcha.
0: Before we continue, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydakota.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard.
1: If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at legaltalknetwork.com. We'll see you there. And we're back. So let's talk what things were like before gender of AI came onto the scene. So what was the area of AI-assisted contract review like, and what were things that it did well, and what were things that maybe it didn't do so well?
2: So what the technology was really, really, really good at doing was finding relevant information in contracts, pulling it out, and showing people where it found the information in the original copy of the document. So Generally, in a system like Kira, you'd have kind of one side of the system where there would be the extracted text that the system had found. And there'd be another pane where you'd get to see a a view of the original document, complete with highlights where the system had found stuff. So, like, here is the change of control clause, and here's what it looks like in the original agreement. And the technology was really good at doing that. And I think users reported really positive results. Like very normal to hear 30, 40, 50, 60% time savings on reviewing an individual contract using the technology. Mm-hmm. And so what are some things that maybe it didn't do so well? Well, the technology always made mistakes, and and it's still gonna to continue to do so. So I think that's just an issue. It's not perfect. And so ideally the technology is set up in such a way that a human can. <laughs> expand upon what it finds. So I think that's area number one. Uh, Area number two is that it was a lot of effort sometimes to teach the system to find something new. Like Kira, for example, system that I knew best in this area, or Zuva, find say 1,300 different data points in contracts out of the box. And that's really good, but there are lots of situations when people need to find more. Like between Kira and Zuva, our customers have taught the software to find 20,000 additional data points. Sometimes that teaching is pretty low effort, but there are also times when it it can take real work to do so. And I think with generative AI, you have the potential to do that a lot quicker sometimes. Uh, So that's point number two. Point number three is technology in this area, the pre-generative AI technology in this area was really good at finding specific parts of documents uh, that were relevant. And frankly, like as good, maybe even better in some cases than untrained Gen AI and maybe even as good as, roughly as good as trained Gen AI at finding relevant parts of the document. But what it wasn't great at, and we always struggled to kind of get it to improve at, was getting structured information out of contracts. So structured information could be putting the date into a normalized form. It could be, but especially, or or other forms of normalization like that, but especially not just doing something like finding the assignment clause, but breaking the assignment clause into one of six categories and that are always the same across documents. Because when you have information in structured form, there's so many cool, neat things you can do with it. Like you can do better visualizations and sortings. You can... Trigger actions. If you think about, I suspect we have a mostly lawyer audience, so maybe people are using Excel a little bit less. But if you think of an Excel spreadsheet where you have free text fields, it's okay. But if you have actual structured text fields like exact dates or numbers or drop-down choices, it's just so much more powerful. Like You can sort based on those drop-downs uh, or sort based on the dates, and it's so much more powerful. And the pre-Gen AI technology struggled to do that, despite a lot of effort. Uh, Frankly, the Gen AI stuff also struggles to do it, but we found you can get it to work to do that. And that's really exciting with Gen AI.
1: Gotcha. So it's kind of taking a step back, talking about generative AI and whatnot. So can you just kind of walk me through, like, how would you use it, like, to analyze a contract or to draft a contract or review a contract, like like do you just like type in a bunch of prompts and it it brings up the relevant
2: clauses or you know is there something else to that? Well, if you're using Gen AI to review a single contract, like that can work depending on how long the contract is. But there are some sort of technical reasons that make it hard to just put in a single contract, unadulterated, into something like ChatGPT and have it work, right? So there's like basically a context window that you need to provide to these systems. So if you were going to ask a system questions about a specific contract, you would have to load the contract perhaps in in chunks together. And all this is kind of possible behind the scenes, but you can't just go to ChatGPT and load like a hundred page contract. It's just not going to work. So you got to do some stuff to kind of work around that even a 50-page contract but effectively you could load the contract and start asking it questions we find that a better workflow for a lot of people though is to just think about what are the things that you're looking the things that you're in contract review the things that you tend to be looking for in one contract tend to be the things that you're looking for in another contract or in across a hundred or a thousand or a hundred thousand contracts and so what we find tends to be a little bit better is you think in advance that like there's a set of things that you need to know in a certain type of contract, right? Like there might be a menu of like 20 different things that you care about in a certain use case. Like if you're helping a company on a change of control transaction, like a merger or an acquisition or reorg or something like that, you're going to care about assignment you're going to care about change of control. You care about who, the, like what the name of the contract is, who the parties are, what the date of the contract is, maybe what the governing law is. You should care about exclusivity, non-compete, uh, maybe non-solicit and most favored customer terms in that contract. And there may be some other things. But if you know those 10 things the things you care about, you can kind of pre-set up a system to process contracts for those things. And I think that is probably more effective if you're reviewing a bunch of contracts than just dumping the contracts in one by one and kind of coming up with queries on the fly. It's pretty much the same project every time with little differences. Hmm. So so let me, you, you talked a little bit about this earlier
1: in the segment, but can you talk a little about just how, how has generative AI improved the field of contract drafting and review? Like what are some things it does better than, than the previous system?
2: Well, I think, and it may not be necessarily generative AI versus the previous systems. Like I think of it as almost like a conjunction of the two systems, because the nice thing about the previous systems is they're like much, they're really, really, really good at finding relevant information in contracts and they're much more computationally efficient. So what I mean by computationally efficient is like they can find something with a lot less. So they can probably do as good a job at finding something, but they can not only do as good a job at the actual accuracy, like roughly within a couple sort of percentage points of accuracy, but but they can do it much more efficiently. So that means they can do it faster. And that problem that I was mentioning a couple of minutes ago, where like you can't take a 50 or 100 page document and just dump it in altogether, uh, the really nice thing about the technology. The older technology is that it's super efficient at doing that. And so what we think the best practice is, is to use some of that previous technology to actually find the relevant parts of the agreement and then pass those relevant parts into an NLM to do some of the things that they can do so well, which is actually like decide which one of a number of options a given clause might represent. So take that information that's found by the other system, pass it, through the LLM and get out like an ABCD type response. Like the contract is not assignable or assignment requires consent. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, so it kind of builds on like what you what you've already done, kind of thing. This is more like incremental change as opposed to like a like a like a diametric one, I guess, right?
2: Yeah, I think so. In the area of contract review, I think the massive change is that you're able to get to structured information now and you could not. Really practically do that before. Like you could do it a little, but it wasn't good and it wasn't accurate and there were a lot of trade offs. And now you can do it and you can do it pretty well. And that's a big change when you're talking about uh, contract review. So I think there's a bunch of different ways to get to that outcome. We have a perspective on what's the sort of optimal way to get to that outcome. But I think there are different technical ways you might get there. But I think to me, that's the big change in contract r- review. Now, in drafting and the like, I think there are bigger changes, right? Like the uh, systems can, like a generative AI system can draft a contract for you. Whether or not that's a good idea is sort of <laughs> a different question. Like, I personally uh, have a pretty strong perspective that <laughs> you're probably a lot better, like I think you're you're probably a lot better off starting from a, precedent or a template that you trust, um, like ideally a template, but if you don't have a template, yeah. maybe a precedent that you trust, and then maybe using generative AI instead of control, like a find and replace to sort of tweak the template to cert hmm. suit your needs. Um, right. For me, as someone who's not practicing right now, but but did, that, that's a spot that I would feel more comfortable because I think If you're uh, just asking it to draft a contract for you, it's kind of like the same as just going on Google and finding like a random (laughs) agreement. Like, might be good, might be bad. Like, who knows? Yeah, it's like I saw on the internet, so that's fine. Yeah, totally. Like, I found this on like it was like a top ten Google search result, so it must be good, right? Like, and appropriate for my situation. Like, to me, that's you know, despite the fact that I'm working under you know Illinois law, not uh, Delaware. Like. Who knows? I know when I was a lawyer, like we put a lot of care into just even choosing the right precedent agreements to pull from, and it was something that was not taken lightly. And so the idea of you know asking an AI to kind of do that for me, maybe I'm maybe I'm old and like a dinosaur, <laughs> but I, that makes me exceedingly uncomfortable, and I worry that it has the potential to just cost uh, errors, but also just cost time. Right? Like I think it could be a lot quicker to just start with a trusted document and then use the technology to help modify it. Or in the rare instances where someone has to freestyle draft a clause, then maybe get the generative AI to help take a crack at that. Like I can see that being useful. But on the whole, my experience with creating contracts was that uh, lawyers tend to create contracts starting with trusted precedents, and I still think that's probably the right workflow. Gotcha.
1: And so this might be kind of a related question, but what are some areas that you think, you know, with generative AI that need need improvement as far as, you know, contract drafting and contract review?
2: Well, I think the, the broad problem with the generative AI is like you can't trust it in multiple ways. Like number one, it makes mistakes, but number two, you don't have a great sense when it's making mistakes. And some of the mistakes can be pretty bad mistakes. So I think it's spectacular technology, like really, really impressive technology. But I think it just needs to be used with the right guardrails for the right situation. Like, you know, I got my ChatGPT premium account. There are times when that can be useful and I might use that. But I think there's other situations, like especially if you're in a kind of situation where doing the job right matters, or if you need to do something at scale where you should think about just leveraging maybe a modified version of generative AI technology. All right, so let's take another
1: quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. All right, so now we're going to talk about where things are heading. And obviously, this is the million-dollar question regarding ChatGPT and other generative AI tools. Are they going to replace humans? Um, So let's just get this out of the way. Should humans be concerned about whether or not they'll lose their jobs to these machines?
2: Technology is really impressive, and I think it's hard not to play with it. And then not think about your sort of place in the world. Uh, And I I definitely have had those types of thoughts. But actually, I think this technology, I think of it as the same way as the previous contract review technology, which is uh, the technology can definitely make you faster and that has implications. But I think the more interesting question is what are things that you can do now using the technology that you couldn't before? And is there opportunity for even expanded work because of the technology? So just thinking about the contract review space, which we've been talking about, if I think about the state of how transactions tend to get done, if I'm doing an M&A transaction for say a $100 million acquisition in 2010, back when I was practicing, or at a lot of firms in 2023, If I'm doing a $100 million acquisition, I'm probably going to review somewhere from 50 to 150 contracts. In fact, a $100 million company probably has 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 contracts in a lot of cases. And so what that means is, as a lawyer, I'm reviewing a subset of all the agreements that I might on this one. And the reason that I'm only reviewing a subset is basically due to resource constraints, right? Like people don't feel like paying for me to review 2000 or 5000 contracts they only feel like me paying me to review 50 or 100 contracts. So one way you could approach the technology is you could say, well, you know, I typically review 100 contracts, I'm going to review 100 contracts and I'm going to use a system like Kira or Ebrevia or Luminance or whatever to do this review and help me along. So I could do that and instead of it maybe taking me 100 hours to review those 100 contracts, maybe it takes me 50 hours cuz i'm using the technology and you know maybe my accuracy is a little bit is a little bit better as well. So that's i think one way you could think about using the technology but to me the more exciting way to think about the technology is to think about like what if i went to my client and i said hey would you be interested if i could review all your contracts instead of just some? So instead of just reviewing 100 contracts, maybe you still review those 100 contracts using the technology and it takes you 50 hours instead of 100. But then you pass the other, say, 1900 contracts just through the technology. And you only review the ones where the technology finds something that could be interesting. I wouldn't even actually worry so much if I was doing an M&A transaction about missing a change of control in the water delivery contract. But I would be very interested in going through those 1900 contracts. And I think you could mitigate more risk for your client if you went through those contracts and you looked for exclusivities and non-competes, especially ones that maybe bring in affiliates or something like that, that could be really, really, really disastrous. And so I think the technology can enable someone to actually expand the scope of work. Because if you review those additional 1900 contracts, that's going to take time, right? Like Even though the computer is doing most of the work, there's still going to be a level at which the human's going to have to check things, make decisions that are complicated. And I think overall, they might actually end up spending more hours, billing more hours uh, <laughs> on the project and actually be able to set the client up sort of bigger hourly based bill at the end of it. Um, and not only that, but actually have a client who thinks that they got better value and who's more willing to pay. So I just, I think there may come a point, like I was saying at the start, like, I think there may come a point, like the technology is really, really, really impressive, and there may come a point where it changes lawyer employment. But but I actually think that there's a ton of opportunity in embracing the technology to do more law. And so I think you got a lot of years to kind of actually upsell work right now using the technology rather than the opposite of having it take away jobs.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Cause I, I think, yeah, cause I mean, most of the discussion I've seen surrounding it is, is oh, is this finally going to be the thing that, that gets people off the billable hour you know, or, or whatnot? And so, yeah, I, I hadn't thought about it the other way where I can actually, actually make, let people actually do more work, you know, but you know, over like a shorter amount of time, but still doing, and end up doing more in the aggregate.
2: Maybe. Like, I think to the extent you're sort of open to considering going off the billable hour, I think it fits really nicely with people who are trying to get off the billable hour. My sense is, at least in sort of US corporate law, uh, it's still like billable hour work represents like 80, 85% of all the work done. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, to the extent you're open to thinking about efficiency technology, efficiency and switching off the billable hour, I think efficiency technology can work really well with switching off the billable hour. Right. Like, it's pretty obvious that if you're charging someone a flat fee and you can. Do the work with less effort. That that's more profitable. Like that's a good thing for you. But I actually think that lawyers can do okay, even while staying on the billable hour. Even though I think there are lots of benefits and advantages to going off the billable hour, I don't think you have to go off the billable hour to leverage the benefits. And part of that is just I've been doing this for a long time. Like I can remember back in like 2014, 2015, like. 2016, everybody's saying like the billable hour is dead and like it's not dead yet (laughs) and maybe it'll die. But for me as sort of a business person in the space, I I kind of, my view was that you could never assume that it was going to die because it hasn't yet. And like, if it does, that's great for efficiency technology. But I think as a business person, you just kind of got to come up with arguments that work in the situation that you have and the situation that we have, especially in the United States, is that people use the billable hour. And having thought about it a lot, I think you can really actually gain from efficiency technology, even if you are a billable hour uh, attorney. Uh, by the way, if anyone's I- interested in kind of reading more of my thoughts on this, I wrote back uh, with Dr. Udek uh, back in 2021. Alex and I put out AI for Lawyers, uh, published by Wiley. Uh, Became a Wall Street Journal bestseller, and it has a lot more thorough of an explanation of that idea that you can make more money being more efficient, even if you're on the billable hour. You know, who knows?
1: Maybe that actually might like lead to like greater adoption. With law, with law firms, do they feel like okay, it's not, it's not a radical change from what we already do? You know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna necessarily take us off something that we're comfortable with.
2: So yeah, who knows? Maybe, maybe that actually might be a selling point for it, right? Uh, yeah, and basically, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier with adoption. Like, if you're in the role of selling efficiency technology, you get pretty good at thinking of how it actually impacts the business model of lawyers. Because I think that ends up being the core question with adopting a lot of this technology, right? Like, People are very curious how it fits with their business model and rightly so. And so I think having thought about it a lot and spoken to a lot of law firms about it, uh, I think that there are ways to make more money while being more efficient. So, to kind of look to the future, then,
1: like where do you think generative AI is heading when it comes to contracts? I mean, where do you think the the technology
2: will be by this time next year? I mean, will it be a lot better, you think? I think right now, sitting here in sort of fall 2023, we've all kind of seen the amazingness of generative AI in its sort of raw form. Like, you go on ChatGPT, and if any listeners out there haven't tried ChatGPT, like really just pause or after this episode ends, go spend 20 minutes just trying it out. It's really something to see. So I think you see that and you can kind of see the potential for change. But in terms of actually operationalizing that change, I think it's still like very early in seeing generative AI get baked into legal tech, like contract review applications in sort of well done ways. I think there are vendors who are doing stuff with it. I think they're making early stubs. I think they can do like nice demos in some cases, but but I think in terms of actually like being production ready software, I don't think there are a, there there are some examples, but but I would argue there's not too 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 much yet. And so what I think the next year and the next few years are going to be about is taking advances in technology and just actually building it into systems that lawyers can use in production to do things like larger scale contract reviews in situations where they need to be fairly sure that they're getting results that they feel good about and that the technology can handle it and that all the security and data privacy is all nailed down. So I think... The next bunch of years is just gonna be about operationalizing on a lot of sides, while the generative AI technology also continues to improve. Gotcha.
1: All right, and finally, if our listeners wanna get in touch with you, ask you questions about this or
2: whatnot, what's the best way for them to do that? So I'm on LinkedIn, Noah Waysberg. I'm still on Twitter, or X, uh, where I'm N-W-A-I-S-B, N-Ways. And you can also just email me or something like that. If you feel like seeing the technology in Operation too. Zuva, we've really made an effort to make our technology super accessible. So you can literally go to the Zuva website and upload a contract or 10 contracts or whatever you feel like for free and just see what the technology can pull out. So lots of ways to interact. And then if you feel like reading some more about my thoughts on just especially how the technology is going to impact the practice of law and just sort of the business of law, I think we've heard a lot of very positive feedback on AI for Lawyers, the book that Alex Hudek and I did. Gotcha. And if you're a five-year-old who wants to learn about
1: machine learning, what's the best way to, to
2: do it? Well, as, uh, as Victor knows, I uh, not only have written <laughs> for lawyers, but I'm also the author of what we believe is the world's first children's book on machine learning, <laughs> Robbie the Robot Learns to Read. Uh, also, many, many, many positive reviews on that. A little bit harder <laughs> to get on Amazon, but uh, but we'll try to get a reprint done due to popular demand or
1: something like that. <laughs> gotcha. Well thanks again for joining us. No, I appreciate it. Always happy to talk to you, Victor. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please go to your favorite app and check out some other titles from Legal Talk Network. In the meantime, I'm Victor Lee and I'll see you next time on the ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast.
0: If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit legalrebels.com, legaltalknetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.